Welcome to what we are going to call episode 7 of the Boots Off podcast. Thanks for sticking with us each month. Today we hear from someone who found this podcast on LinkedIn. He said, do you mind if I send you a copy of my book? I was like, sure, why not? It's called A 10 Hut, 10 Things Veterans Should Know Before They Enter the Civilian Workforce. And with that, I knew this was a guy I wanted to talk to and someone who would be good for listeners to hear from. His name is Maury Castaneda. He's a retired Navy submarine officer, prior enlisted. He served 22 years, holds a bachelor's in workforce education and development, and two masters, one in education and another in economics. Smart man, and he's doing a lot of good work with this book. Join us for this next hour and see what you think. This is Boots Off with our guest, Maury Castaneda. Boots off, what's up? I'm glad we were able to get in touch here because it looks like we're pretty much trying to do the same thing. Reach the same audiences with our product. Yeah. Me with this Boots Off podcast, you with your book, A Ten Hut. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I read it. It's very informative, humorous in parts. You said it yourself, a lot of sarcasm. And it really brings up a lot of good points. You might say it's not a how-to book, not an advice column, but it brings up so many things that people need to consider. So I was really looking forward to having you on because of these similarities we share. But first, I want to get into a bit of your background. Yeah. What led you into the military initially? Yeah, it's kind of a a boring story, actually, right? When you think about it, right? So um, my dad was... uh... I was just a regular dude from Southern California, right? I grew up in uh, down in Riverside, the Covina area, and um, I played a lot of baseball, a lot of soccer, and uh, you know, I just kind of grew up thinking I was always going to be a professional baseball player, right? Right until I was around seventeen years old or so, right? and I played some good ball. Uh, but uh, my whole my dad was in the Navy from seventy to seventy four, and after he got out during the Vietnam Vietnam time, so he he spoke highly of the Navy. He was an electrician. He got out. And went to work for the railroad. I was born shortly thereafter. And he was an electrician. Right? He was an electrician like he was in the Navy, like he was for the railroad. So my exposure to what was normal was 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 kind of this, you know, you go learn a trade, you go get a job. And my dad was pretty successful. He had a little side business on the side, you know, electric. He was doing some residential troubleshooting, things like that. So, you know, we had a lot of good stuff, nice things. I mean, I'm just an average middle class dude. And the way the way my dad did it seemed like a pretty easy way to do it. And he didn't go to college. So anyway, so I'm playing baseball and whatever else, and uh, time comes. Like, like, oh, I'm about to graduate, and it doesn't look like I'm going to play baseball anymore. What do I got to do? Well, the only influence that I really had outside of, of college or of, of baseball was, in fact, the military. And I think deep down I always knew that, like, if this baseball thing didn't work out, you know, that the Navy was going to be okay because it provided for my dad. So I just decided one day, all right, I got a backup plan, so I'm going to go talk to the Navy guy. He was on campus at my school. And it just seemed right. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. This was back in the early 90s or late. Yeah, it's been early 90s. And uh, so it was Navy full speed ahead, right? And they were trying to recruit all these nuclear trained guys. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that because that's the smartest people. That's what I want to do. And they give a lot of money for that. And I want to be on a submarine. I totally wanted to be on a submarine. You could have talked me into anything. The only thing you couldn't have talked me out of was being on a submarine. I thought they were cool. And uh, and, and maybe, maybe it seems funny, but maybe the fascination was just – well, well, there's two reasons. One is that it's goofy. I'm probably going to admit it, but I fell in love with submarines when I was like six years old when I went to Disneyland, right? And just the fact that you can go underwater and check stuff out. And then uh, the other thing was that my dad spoke highly of submariners. And honestly, because when he was in Pearl Harbor, the submarine base had a baseball team. So I was like, oh, so they play baseball in the submarine force. I'm going to do that. That's awesome. So I did it. Went, and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to become a nuke or practice, fortunately, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I had a guardian angel looking out for me that didn't uh, that didn't let my one of my line scores on my ASVAB line up so that I could have you know I think it's like there's like A and B or whatever it's like you know an AE and an ME or something and one of them was just under the threshold so I was that pain in the butt uh, person signing up so like, well, I really want to do this I'm going to do nothing <laughs> and so they said fine so they had people coming to my house and what do we got to do I want to be a nuke really bad and so they're like okay fine we'll go ahead and, and let you take it again. But uh, took the test again, and I know I have a guardian angel or Neptune or whoever it was that didn't want me to be a nuke because now my scores were opposite. So whatever one I was just under the threshold, I went the other way. So I raised the other one but dropped the other one. So at that point, I was like, all right, thanks, but no thanks. Can I still be on a submarine? They're like, yeah. 
So I got this. You know, it's funny. The last guy I had on this podcast, a good friend of mine who uh, now he's up in Everett, Washington. He's a radio DJ up there. He started out on submarines. Yeah. And he did not want to be there. Oh, really? (laughs) He was, was it a machinist or something like that? Yeah. He was a machinist on, on subs and uh, he was terrified the entire time. I was probably the opposite. I was like, I couldn't get down that tube fast enough. So it was cool. How long were you in that field as uh, enlisted? I, I did. I did just over eleven years. Let's see. I got commissioned in June. Of, yeah, so eleven years. Yeah. Okay. You did eleven years, and then you commissioned after that. Right. I, I did eleven years, and I separated to the reserve myself. Right. So that's enough active duty time for me. Right. What was it about commissioning that? that you wanted to to get into that path or was it just an opportunity that presented itself? How'd that work out? So th- this was actually pretty cool, right? I had, and it's one of the reasons why and it's kind of the genesis for the book. If you actually like, you know, peeled the onion and figure out where it's at is I had a ton of mentors it, it, as I'm sure you did. Now all of, all of us that are in, in that are vets did while well, your time in there, people trying to you know direct you the right way or a different way. Um, I was very fortunate to have some great leaders, both enlisted and officer. And uh, when I was on my first boats, so I went to submarine school in Connecticut uh, right after boot camp. And this was in, I guess, 94. And I went to my first submarine, which was the USS Louisville out of uh, Pearl Harbor, which was awesome. What a, what a great ship, right? Great, great people. I'm, I'm still friends with those people. That, that four years and some change on that boat was probably what totally molded me into the adult that I am outside of what my parents taught me. Uh, the, the relationships that I built there. But to answer your question, it was I saw what the officers can do and the commissioning program in which I did, which was limited duty, which essentially it's almost more people probably familiar with the warrant officer program, right? Where, you know, you're enlisted and the next day you come into work and you're commissioned. Well, it's the same thing, uh, except you get to come in at an O1E rank, O2E rank. So essentially one day I went into work and I, I was enlisted. The next day, you know, later on that afternoon, people were saluting me. So it's pretty cool. But my, my bosses, my, I mean, so I had, I had a couple of uh, E6s when I was an E4, E5 on the Louisville that had actually done this program. And so they were out in front of me, and I was watching all the great things they were doing. And I, I was an electronics technician, right? I was up front. I worked with the periscopes and the antennas and stuff like that. And I really, I really dug that job, and I, I just had fun doing it. Probably annoyingly to, to – actually, I know it's annoyingly to my friends that were, they were on the same – you know, I was – everybody's getting out your first, first tour, like, this sucks, I'm getting out. And I was kind of like, yeah, it sucks. Not really. This is cool. I think I'm going to stay and do it. <laughs> right? This is actually awesome. I don't understand why these guys don't get it. But, uh, and so we, we joke about that now. I was going, out of all my, my friends that I had in you know, the barracks mates and everything, they all got out except me. And, uh, but they, they would all tell you they saw that coming from probably day two. Right. But uh, anyways, so these guys, I love, I love that portion of it. And so the limited duty made you an expert, a Mustang, right? Makes you, you were able to work in that field as a technical expert in that, in, in, in communication, which my bosses had done. And I knew that they, they were good and they had taught me that I, I'm next in line and I, I know what I know what I'm talking about and I could shape policy and do things for submarines and submarine communications and those things. This is where I want to be. So that, that's why I did it. And I, and I, and it was probably one of the best decisions of my life. It was awesome. You were a mentee for many years and then did you, turn into more and more of a mentor as you commissioned oh yeah i would say even before that um the submarine force we i mean right every every everybody will tell you whatever you did is is the best the most elite right if you're seal you're elite which probably is true right and rangers all those guys oh yeah pjs they're all they're all tough. i'm not i'm not gonna argue that yeah i'm not gonna argue (laughs) with those guys they're tough but we're we're a different kind of tough if you will (laughs) right we're we're on a different spectrum of toughness uh but no but in seriousness um, the submarine force has this program where we call it, we, we, we have, we call it, now we call it a sponsor back, back probably, you know, to be more politically correct, but you had a sea dad, right. And now, now women are submarines. So I guess I, I actually, you know, you could have a you see parent or something, whatever to be, to be politically correct, but I'm, I'm not, it's not meant to be funny, but you really have, you have really have, you're assigned somebody when you come on board. So about the E4 senior E4, E5 rank, once you have your pin and you, you've been on board for a while, um, a submarine is foreign to someone who's never been on it. Mm-hmm. So you have to have someone that, that shows you once the tube closes, right? The door, the hatches are sealed and, and you're underwater. It, it's all 120 or 110 or 140 people, whatever you're taking with you. 
that are either going to live or die. You're going to fight the ship. You have to depend on one another. So the best way to learn is from being, is essentially, if you don't want to die, you better teach a new person how to save you because you're going to want to go to sleep at some point. At some point, they're going to be awake while you're asleep, right? And that's kind of the mantra in which we live, right? So two-thirds of the boat are asleep or not working. One-third's up. They need to be able to make the initial the initial uh, damage control efforts to get everybody else to fight the ship. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you, you need to train your, your relief. You need to train the next people. So you become a mentor by just by being on board. So you're assigned. So about, so to answer your question, when I was at E45, I started getting my own C pups is what we would refer to them, right? So someone knew and they would follow you around. You tell them, you teach them and do that. But yeah, absolutely. As I became an officer, that's probably my favorite thing that, that uh, being a Mustang was all about was talking to young people and, 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 and helping them reach whatever goal it was, whether it was to, you know, do your four years and get out and, you know, go to college. Well, let's figure out how we're going to save for money and what you're going to do. If it was to make a career, if it was to get commissioned, if it was to make E78, let me help you. And, and I think that was the most valuable. I still look back. I still get phone calls. I've been retired now for about a year and a half or two years, probably closer to two years. And uh, I still get phone calls. Man, you talk about warming the heart when, when I get someone that's, you know, I'm like, hey, sir, how you doing? Like, first, don't call me, sir. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> right? I'm out now. So it's cool. My name's Maury. Uh, but let me, yeah, what, what, how can I help you? And it's always nice to, you know, sit there and say, well, maybe you should talk to, you know, talk to your LPO, talk to your boss or, you know, or whatever. So yeah, totally mentoring, mentoring, mentor, mentor, mentor. Yeah. That was always my favorite part as well. And it still is. I, I hated to see people take the wrong turns, you know, and not realize possible mistakes they were making, you know, and when they could open up to you and you were able to help, like it just it was always a good feeling. Yeah. One of the things about being an officer that I liked was that actually you can actually kind of jerk someone back into place too. If you see someone, one of the, one of the kids working for you, I get the calm kids that shouldn't, right? One of the, one of the sailors working for you, you could walk up and, Hey, don't be an idiot. What are you doing? That's stupid. I mean, you could literally talk to someone that way. If you had that rapport, not, you know, you're being a big dummy right now. Come talk to me. We need to go to lunch. We need to figure something out. And, I, I addressed that a little bit in the book, but yeah, you, you can't do that in the civilian sector. Yeah, and you see, that was a that was a point that I uh, wanted to ask about. Uh, it's a Navy thing, shipmate. Yeah. Now, I understand you say it's a term of endearment in the book. There's sometimes. a sometimes. Okay, that's right. that's what I want to get to. There was a a Navy chief that I worked for. I was stationed with American Forces Network for four right, years, right. and so it was all DOD. I had worked with Marines, sailors, soldiers every now and then. Right. And I had this Navy chief that one time our, uh, we had a commander come over mm-hmm. a Navy commander. He came to visit us and called him shipmate. And he took offense to that. Right. And I was like, wait, is that not, isn't that a good thing? I don't think he meant any harm by this. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a go with a frame of mind. Right. Depending, it's got it's got a lot of meanings behind it. You know, you, you could be a shipmate. You, you know, hey, shipmate. You know, it depends on the term and the tone. And sure. uh, what what I found is I really hated it. It's, got, it's interesting that you bring it up. Is that I didn't want to be anybody's shipmate. Actually, when I was in boot camp, what I thought was really cool was that my company commander, now RDC, so essentially the, the person that wears a red rope and makes you do push-ups, whatever, depending on your uh, your uh, military service, drill sergeant, whatever. Uh, he didn't let us call each other shipmate. Right. Because what do you know about being on a ship? So you guys are mates. Right. So I think it's probably, probably even more condescending. Right. We're all mates. OK, fine. You know, so we had to call each other mate, which whatever. But uh, yeah, so the, the term the term can be condescending. I have had it at times where, you know, oh, you just ship made me or hook a ship made up. But I found as I got older that it actually meant something to me. Like when I would talk to when I would talk to younger sailors, I would be, hey, hey, shipmate, come on, let me help you out a second. But you guys also there, hey, hey, shipmate, ain't happening. So it depends on the tone, depends on where you're at. So I don't know, whatever. So were you on subs that entire time? Yeah, I mean, if I if I wasn't on a submarine, I was doing some support until my last uh, my last tour when uh, I decided I was going to retire and everything. I got sent to recruiting, so that was fun. My last three years was in recruiting. There yeah. you go. All right. Uh, so we were talking about mentoring and being a mentee. Were there any times, any experiences you recall? that really stick out as inspiring or anything that helped you develop a bit? Oh, without question. Um, I refer to them other people. I always try to talk to myself, like, you know, how do I help people? And so I came up with this term, just, just the, a moriism that I did to talk to the man in the mirror. 
about, about monumental conversations, and, and you never know when you're going to have them. But I had these monumental conversations with, uh, with some of my bosses, and, and the first one came when I was, my whole initial goal, like when you asked me when I was going to retire, uh, when I was going to join the Navy, I literally was going to do four years. I told my mom I'll be back. When I left the door, and I was like, I'm doing four years. I'm going to do my push-ups and sit-ups, and I get yelled at at boot camp. I'm going to go do, you know, do good at this A-school thing or whatever, learn about being a submarine, and then I'm coming home. And I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to use that GI Bill that they got, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, around my right before I was supposed to get out after my first tour, so I'm on the Louisville, and my, you know, an E6 buddy of mine, my boss, essentially, right, my LPO, my leading petty officer. They were trying. We were getting ready to go on deployment, and so they're trying to figure out the Manning for the deployment. And I was supposed to get out in the middle. So he wants to know if I'm staying in or getting out, and I need to kind of figure it out with the quickness. And so I said, Well, can I at least extend? For the deployment, because I want to do this, I'm having fun. Yeah, it's fine, but you still got to figure it out. So he's, he, we're sitting down, and I, I can remember this to this day. And he probably does not even remember having this conversation. And he, he tells me, "What are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do with your life?" And so my goal was, I'm going to get out and be a teacher. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to. I learned so much from being on the sports field, both in baseball and soccer. And my coaches were so impactful in my life that I had this great tour on the Louisville. And if I can give back this to a bunch of high school kids so that they don't mess up and teach them about leadership and teach them about work ethic and teamwork, they will be successful people just like I was on the submarine. And so I tell them, that's what I'm going to do. So, says, so essentially, you're going to go to school at night. You're going to work a minimum wage job, live with your parents until you become a teacher. And when he said it like that, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. But I didn't sound the way I was thinking. And so he says, okay, why don't you reenlist? There's a little little money for enlistment bonuses, and go to go to a shore duty, Navy shore duty, right? So, and then you know, so you won't go to sea. Uh, oddly enough, the military encourages you to go to college. There's all kinds of benefits for you. Go get tuition assistance, so your college will be cheaper. Go and get your degree, and then get out. You'll make you'll still get your E5. You'll get a housing allowance. You'll get your pay as an E5, which is more than minimum wage. Why are you Why are you getting? This doesn't make sense to me. And so. I was just in the right frame of mind for that. I walked off, and about two minutes later, I just decided, yeah, I like, yeah, he's right. He's right. This is dumb. I'm staying in. Mm-hmm. And, and I, so I always thought back to myself is that I need to be cautious, but at the same time, speak from the gut and, and, and just tell, tell, tell these people what I'm thinking because if it is dumb, he called me. He just completely called me on my idea. Essentially, what he said was, you're being stupid. If that's what you want to do, this is wrong, and this is what you should do. But he didn't tell me that what I should do. He just explained what it was. So that, without a doubt, was a huge conversation. It sent me to, to Groton Submarine School, back to Submarine School, now to be an instructor. And that's, that's essentially where, where the writing and everything for the book came. I went to, I went to school at Southern Illinois there, and, and uh, I, I got my degree, my bachelor's degree. Uh, I had finished in such a, a quick amount of time that uh, I was able to pursue a master's. So now I was set up, right? So now at this eight-year mark, when I'm, when I'm out at my eight years and some change, I'll have a master's degree because I just went to school full time. My wife was super supportive of me going at night. And not only that, I was killing it as an instructor because you could tell I like to talk. right? <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm teaching these guys. So now I'm giving back. Right? I'm totally mentoring. Every class I get is a bunch of new sailors that are learning electronics, learning what it's like to be on a submarine. And so I'm just in, I'm just in heaven. I'm, I'm teaching kids. I'm going to school. I'm learning. And so I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the instructor of the year. One year, I'm a master training specialist. I'm just killing it. And I'm getting out. I got my master's, and now I'm going to go teach, man. I'm going to do this troops to teachers thing, or I'm going to figure it out. But I'm good. Saved up money, and another monumental conversation comes in. Shipmate, right? Shipmate, yeah. why would you get out? Right? This division officer, this, o, this O2 comes up to me as my boss. He's O2. So why would you get out? I'm like, well, I'm thinking this is what I do. That's an excellent plan, man. That's a great plan. But did you know that you can actually make more money if you stay in the Navy? Have you heard of the limited duty officer program? Yeah, I have. As a matter of fact, my boss and my boss's boss, my, so my C-dad and, uh, and, and my old LPO, both have applied for this program. And they're doing, they're both ensigns. You might know them. And they, they did kind of know each other just through the small network being the submarine force or military in general. And uh, yeah, so, so he said, you should apply for that. Well, but then I got to re-enlist to apply for that. And you know, one more. So then he lays out the plan. Dude, you're, you're, you're an E6. You're making money. We're going to pay for you to move anywhere. You get four weeks vacation, right? 30 days a year. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that. Why don't you try for this management job? It's essentially management. He broke it down in civilian terms. You're, you're applying for a management job. If you don't get it, you've got 12 years in. You'll get out for the four years. 
you, you have been an LPO, you'll get leadership experience, right? Because now you're going back as an E6. You're going to get to pick your, uh, your coast, probably your home port, maybe even darn right to submarine. Why wouldn't you take that? You can go anywhere that the Navy wants to send you. Why, why are you passing it up? Passing all this down for a chance to make a lot of money as an officer, as an O1E. So I, again, I thought about it. Damn, right. Right. Hmm. He's right. Come this time I talk it over with my wife and whatever else. And I, yeah, four more years isn't that bad. We can go back to Hawaii. We really liked Hawaii. Let's go. So every, I went. Every time it's four more years, right? Yeah, four, <laughs> just four more and I got to go. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm done. The only thing that made me nervous about it was that the LDO commitment is a 10-year commitment. So I'm thinking I'm on this side of 10. If I get it now, I really can just do my 20. So now that is a little different. But, you know, I'll, I'll make 03, maybe 04 if things were over. Okay, so now I'm starting to think long-term. And that was like the first time I thought maybe this could be a career. And, uh, and if it isn't, then I'll just walk at 12 and everything will be good. I'll still, only, I'll still be on I still won't be 30 yet. It'll be awesome. And uh, well, sure as hell, I got selected. So I go, oh, let's keep it real. Let's go. And uh, the rest was history after that. So through all that, uh huh. well, what were you going to teach? Oh, I don't know. You, didn't, you just wanted to go be a <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I, I wanted, I, I, well, truthfully, probably PE is what I really wanted to do, right? I wanted okay. to be that, I wanted to be that cool PE coach that coach baseball and, you know, didn't do anything and had fun coaching. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's where the money is too. In all these high schools, it's always in sports, you know? Yep. <laughs> That's true. Uh, is there anything that you would have changed along the way? You seem like you've you had some set paths that didn't necessarily get roadblocked, but you took some some detours, some other forks in the road. But throughout all of that, anything you would have changed? Any learning experiences there? Man, you know, I I don't I don't know. I think I, I say I've had it's not the first time someone has asked me some of my, you know, whatever you want to call them mentor sessions or what I think might be monumental conversations for sailors that I dealt with. You know, they would ask me, is there anything different you would do? And my CEO, when I retired, great guy, he, he asked me, is there, all right, man, you think, was there anything different you would you would do? Is there anything? And, and man, I don't I don't think so, dude. I, I, I mean, I mean, my, my career was so awesome. Um, I mean, there was bad days. There, there was things. I don't know. Maybe I would have tried to deploy more. I mean, I, I didn't get as many deployments in as, as I wanted to get in. It seemed like I was in the shipyard a lot uh, for both my boats and things. But, I mean, I, that's, just, that's just the roll of the dice. I mean, I say that when probably go, man, you know, if you would ask me in, in a parallel universe, I'd probably say I probably would have found a ship that would, didn't deploy as much. But, um, man, no, I, I, think, I think I was very, very fortunate, which is another reason why I wrote the book is that I just so damn lucky, so, so lucky. I, I think I made a lot of right decisions, but I had so much help. Right, and I couldn't have got where I was at with the help I got. I don't know what I'm missing if I did, if there is something to change. So then when retirement came, were you just were you ready for that? Did you know that that was the moment to retire? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, a good buddy of mine had retired, and I, I was kicking it around, right, if what I wanted to do. And, and some of it was a financial decision to get out, right, because um, – you know, there comes a point where you can make a lot of money doing, you know, you're essentially could be double dipping and doing things. So part of that weighed in a little bit. Um, but um, I, I also have two small kids now. Right. And so when I when I retired, I had kids later in, in my career there. So I have now a, a 10 and about to be eight year old. So when I retired a couple of years ago, they were small. And the next job that I was going to take was going to put me out to see I was going to have to go back to see of some sort. And. Uh, I went to a retirement of a buddy of mine who was also a, who had got commissioned and we had crossed paths a couple of times and he, he said something and I'm going to butcher it, but he just said that the, uh, something along the lines, uh, the sacrifice wasn't, the, the mission wasn't worth the sacrifice anymore. And, and I really resonated with me. It was like, everybody gets there. Everybody gets to a point where the mission, you know, the sacrifices aren't worth it. And, um, you know, I was having fun. I was on recruiting duty. I was able to coach my kids. You know, soccer, baseball, I was there. I was going to parent conferences and stuff. And I was like, this is, this is all right. This is, you know, I didn't have standing more duty. And I knew that all that was going to come back into play. You know, I was going to be back doing something, going back to see, you know, was it worth it? And I think that's really what it was. The sacrifice wasn't worth the mission. I think we all get there at some point. And when did you consider first writing a book? So that's, that's a good question. I think anybody, I think when I told my friends that I was going to write a book and anybody that knows me well, I'd be like, are you got to be out of your mind? What is it, a coloring book? <laughs> but, uh, right? How many pictures does it have? But uh, 
So when I when I got out uh, when I retired, I uh, I was very fortunate, man. I just I just been so lucky, and, I, and actually talking to you makes me really appreciate even all the help that I had then. Um, I was only unemployed for like 26 days, right? Theoretically, I, I retired July 1st, July 26th. I'm working and I, I'm working at a good job. I got a manager manager job for Sacramento County, and I'm doing great things. And um, so I really only went 26 days. So before I even received my first retirement check, I was already getting another check from somebody else, and which is atypical, which I didn't really realize, which was somewhat atypical as far as getting the job that you want in the field that you want, doing what you want. Um, but anyways, whatever, I, I'd set myself up. Uh, fast forward. So at that job, I start talking to people about, so my job's in training and development or manager for, for training and development. So essentially what I tell my military friends is, um, for the county, I manage all the GMT, all the all the compliance training. So you're like, hey, do your e-learning. You got to do this. You got to do that. I do that for the county. I and see. I also develop leadership courses and things like that. And I have a team of people. I, I you know, Essentially, it's just the same thing. I have a group of trainers, and the trainers do a great job at, at uh, facilitating leadership opportunities and coaching. Well, anyways, one of the things is we, we are, just like in the military, we're undermanned. We're understaffed. And so we had to contract out some coaches and other trainers. And I started talking to these people about executive coaching and things like that. And as I started talking to them, I'm like, man, this is, this is what I do. This is where I am. So I enrolled in an executive development program, an executive uh, coaching program, and got my certification. And one of the things that the guy that, that talked about was that you need, to, you need to write. You need to write to get your, get your message out there and write about what you're good at. So I was like, I'm going to write about leadership. I'm going to write about leadership. I've been exposed to tons of leaders. And as I'm writing this book on leadership, I'm trying to figure out what my actual philosophy is because I realize it's just a little bit from this CEO and a little bit from this chief and a little bit from that guy. What do I really stand for? You know? And so I'm in the shower one day and I'm starting, you know, that's where I do most of my thinking. And I'm like, you know, my next book I'm going to write is going to be about the transition process because I was, you know, I was thinking about work and, you know, why, why am I, the, the people that work for me don't see things a certain way or why am I having trouble with this? And I, I address some of them in the book. It's like, I'm just going to write like, Hey, Hey dude, if I, if I went back in the Navy, I'd be like, you wouldn't believe what's happening. I, I say this and people are like, no, nah, I think we're going to do this. And then, <laughs> you know, I think it's better if we do it this way. Like, wait, well, I in charge where you are, but you're not really, you know, and we'll get it done this week. Well, I want it done today. Well, yeah. why do we need to get it done today? He's like, you know, and then you don't really have. So anyways, so I, so I just need to write about that. I just need to get that out and let, just let everybody know, like, warning, warning. You know, it's not, it's not as easy as you think. And so I came up with, you know, like 12 or 13 little topics. And I started writing them down. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this book's almost written. Yeah. I should write it. I should just get it down. My wife really encouraged me. And you know, I have 12, 13 chapters. And then I started condensing and getting smarter about it. And in about 60 days, I had it. And the, the coach that I was using, the executive coach that was helping me through the process, he was he he helped me through you know the create space and the avenue the avenues for Amazon and things like that and it was very very simple and so I would challenge anybody if you have any aspirations to write a book to hit me up because it is super easy there's a lot of books out there there's people that shouldn't be writing books that are writing books All right <laughs> so right now I don't even know if I should be writing a book but I did but uh, so but anyway I kid but that that's really what it was and so I just put it out and I gave myself a goal I'm gonna be done by by 2017. I need to have this book written and uploaded it to Amazon. And there it was. Well, you did. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. It's called A Ten Hut, Ten Things Veterans Should Know Before They Enter the Civilian Workforce. It's full of good information, but it's an easy read. The format, it's very conversational, you know? People right. can relate. I mean, if, if you're picking up this book, you're probably a veteran yeah. who has separated or you're looking to separate. So you can definitely relate to a lot of the discussion within these pages. Uh, a lot of learning opportunities from starting back on the bottom rung of the ladder. Uh, right. When maybe you used to supervise a handful of individuals. That's something that I personally relate yeah. to almost too closely. Right. Uh, the difference in work ethic and leaving when the clock strikes five versus. Hey, that's something man, I tell you. Yeah, versus when the job is done. And then uh, benefits that the military provides, leave versus vacation. It goes on. There's 10 different topics in here. Keep going, man. There's the integration versus the transition, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what you say in the book is you realized you were trying to transfer 
into your civilian job. Right. And it wasn't working out. So what do you mean by that? And what had to change to make it successful? Yeah, that, that was that was like a huge epiphany, right? You could probably tell from everything that I did. I took some advice from the people that were in charge and then tried to make it my own informant. So when I was in the Navy, right, everywhere I'd go, I was like, what, what, where, where are the problems? Especially when I became an officer or a leader. It's like, where, where are our deficiencies? What do we do well? Who's great? Who's struggling? And then let's figure out how we're going to increase production. We're going to increase, you know, what we're doing to make our team the best. I, I always, and again, coming from that, that school of, uh, of sport, if you will, baseball or soccer, is like, hey, I just got put on this team and I'm going to make it better. But I'm going to make it better through helping these people get better. And one, one, one quote that I, I, I say repeatedly, and I used to try to do that, was, was put people in a position to be successful. Right. Find out where their strengths are. And in the civilian sector, I really had a call strength finder. But I, I just didn't know. Just, I thought I was a genius, but it's already out there. <laughs> um, so if I, but seriously, put the people, if you're not good at that, get them off of there, put them in that area. And you have that flexibility. I don't know how many times well, it was a few times where I would go and I would have a, you know, a struggling E5 who didn't like doing this. wasn't good at that. I was like, well, can you do that? Yeah. And all of a sudden they start to flourish. They started to do things. So, and so when I got to my civilian job, I look and I was like, well, what are, what are we doing good? What are we doing bad? And like, okay, I got a grasp on it. Let's go ahead and fix those things. And there wasn't really a desire to like make that overnight change. Like, Hey, the new guy's here. He wants to make that change. Like, well, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll start implementing some of that. It's like, well, I'm in charge. You know, I, <laughs> I kind of called the ball here. I kind of said, we want to do that. I, I, and so I'm thinking in my mind, okay, you're not a Lieutenant. You're not a Lieutenant. You're not a Lieutenant. Don't go off and say, we're not doing this. Do not, do not, do not go off. But Hey, how about we really try and do that? How about if you work on it? Okay, I'll get to it. What are you doing now? You know, I mean, what, what's stopping you from doing that like today? Like we can actually make some real good progress if you like decide that you want to get on board with me and do this today. And so, you know, and I was very cognizant of not, you know, not stepping on feelings. And, and I, I address it in the book too. It's like, I knew that there's some perceptions about me. I knew that people were probably waiting for me to yell or give a direction or, you know, whatever else, or, you know, he's going to go all military on me. And I think the subject at the top of the chapter is right. You're not a drill sergeant. So Mm -hmm. I think everybody was waiting for me to go off and, you know, tell everybody doing things. I, I, I knew that I could feel it. I could sense it. And, you know, they were just waiting to tell me, or maybe, maybe I perceive that maybe I'm going off and maybe if they listen to this podcast, but it really wasn't like that. But uh, I just felt like there was, it wasn't a setup, but like they were waiting for the military guy to come out. So I realized I was like, yeah, I know, I know you asked how was the transfer I was like, I'm not going anywhere. They're, they're right to an extent. I'm here as long as I want to be here. I, I can leave tomorrow, which that kind of opened up. Like, I can quit. Holy cow. I can quit. If it sucks that bad, I can quit. Now, does it suck that bad? Right. And so I used to have those conversations. Does it suck that bad? No, it doesn't. Okay. So let, let's calm down. Let's figure out we're going to stay here longer than three and a half years. All right. So now if we, if we expand this thing to like a 10 year thing, can you, can you empathize with them a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So we need to go from there. So that's what I meant by transferring. You know, you, you try and make an impact in the job you're at. You get this thing. You want to leave a mark. But like, Hey, I don't, I can, I can work here until I'm 70 if I really want to, I guess. Or until they, you know, no one's going to ask me to leave. There's no retirement. There's no checkout. There's no transfer. There's no impending orders coming that says I'm going to leave. And my team isn't changing, so we got to figure this out. Right, and that was something that kind of opened my eyes too, was uh, another point you make is that the people that you work with in the civilian force, most of them have been there like 10, 15, 20 years. And in the military, unless you work with a lot of uh, GS types, uh, you don't run across that too often where – you know, because most people are there for two, three, four years, and then they're on to the next next right. assignment. So it is different when when you're working with all these people, and you actually have that choice, right, to stay there for as long as they have, or more, or yeah, less, I, I think, yeah, whichever. Right. The office culture, though, you you write a story about, and you did allude to this a little bit earlier. You write a story about telling your manager that a coworker needed to pull his head out of his rear. Right. And I guess that this... wasn't me. That was one of my buddies. But yeah, but this is right. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, when I started, I started pulling some of the guys. Yeah, I want to be full disclosure. That that was an interesting story. When I started kind of opening up to my friends, like, hey, well, get this. So, yeah. 
But yeah, and it was, I was kind by saying pull his head out of his rear because he really didn't say pull his head out of his rear. Oh, of course. <laughs> right, right. We all know where that's at. It's a very common military term. But, phrase. you know, I guess it comes down to knowing your audience, for one. Right. But I've been in some civilian environments where that's completely normal. And I've been in, to contrast that, some military offices where, you know, saying something like this is going to get you paperwork right on the spot. Right. Very true. Yeah, I think I think I think that that's less tolerated now in the Navy. We 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 commonly for the new Navy, right? So, and there's probably not a there, there probably isn't an appropriate. That's not an appropriate phrase by any by any stretch, right? You shouldn't use it, I, I guess, right? But I could see I could see in a situation where someone may want to use it, but um, right? And my buddy my buddy was telling me about that. Uh, that that being said, the uh, yeah, you you have to know your audience, right? You really have to know your audience, and that's one you know. Once you get to friends, I, I have relationships that work now. I have relationships with even even coaching little league and stuff like that. Where you you have to know what what is what is good and what is bad, and you know what music you can play and what you can. The whole the whole offense line is uh, is, is is really interesting. Yeah, and then I, I wonder because I've been perplexed by this for a very long time before I even read your book. Did it really bother you when you became known by just your first name when people started? Saying, "Hey, Maury," instead of using just your last name, rank and last name. Yeah, oh, you know, I had grown uh, accustomed to 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 being, you know, ALT, Lieutenant, Ops, Divo. Every, I would call it a thousand things, right? But never Maury. The only people that would call me Maury, right, were were other senior were senior officers for the most part, or some of my buddies within the wardroom and closed doors. But hey, you know, it's Maury's turn to get on the Xbox or whatever else. You know, Maury's got the next watch type thing. But as soon as the doors would open, you'd get. So that was about, that was about, to me, it was a very informal, it was very, very informal to be called by my first name. Unless, uh, almost reserved, right? And I, I mean, I coached, and I used to laugh about it because um, when I was on recruiting duty, I, co- I coached my kids' soccer team. So the kids and the parents would call me Maury. And then uh, one of the parents would say, well, you, you uh, or should we call you Lieutenant? Or should we call you? No, no. <laughs> Just the people that work for me call me Lieutenant. So to flip it, you know, I get there and, I, I, I guess it's like, it's like that's the way it is, but I'm still having an issue with this. And, and I, I wrote about that in the book. It wasn't so much being called more, but actually calling myself, allowing them to call me more. I, I talked about an email. I was like, I don't know what to say. I always use a, hey, Lieutenant, or hey, Divo, on your email, just to let everybody know. And they're like, hey, Maury. Right? And, that, and that really just, that was, that was a change. So, yeah, I don't know. Did it bother? I guess bothered is the right word, but, but not to like I was like flipping out or wanted to change it or something, but it's just something that I had to get used to. Probably right there, like along with putting your hands in your pockets and stuff like that. Sure, and you know, you also addressed the the whole "yes sir, yes ma'am" yeah. thing there. But as I've found, it's not as faux pas, you know, to to use a "yes sir, yes ma'am" because a lot of times, even outside the military culture, um, people are brought up. Kids, I try to raise my kids right with respect, like in that same manner, uh, to use "sir" and "ma'am." And right. So I I find that that's not as much an issue. Occasionally, there will be someone I say "ma'am" to, and she'll be like, "How old do you think I am?" Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was at. That's 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 about where it comes from. It seems like the woman, the, the, the female perspective, maybe more so than the male perspective, with the "ma'am" thing, can uh, can get you. So I guess maybe it's just the uh, the year that we're in, and it just seems a little old fashioned. Probably, I, I think one of the the reason I brought that up was that. In the integration process, if you're trying to shed, because you do want to shed some of your your, your military skin, uh, that's a dead giveaway. If you're yes sir and no sir and everybody, no ma'am, yes ma'am, um, to me that alludes to maybe you haven't completely transitioned or integrated yet, and it's something that you should be aware of. There's a time and a place, right? I mean, a cop pulls me over, it's yes sir, no ma'am. You know, it's appropriate. There is a there is an appropriateness level to it, but. Um, just be cognizant of it. If you're doing it all the time, you're probably, you're, you know, if you're doing that and wearing your core frames, you haven't transitioned too well yet, you know, if you're, you know, or, you know, you got, still got your web belts, you know, that you're working, you know, you know, you, you know, it, it goes along with it. Just, just be cognizant. If you, every day, all the time might be an issue. People will talk about you behind your back. And I want to touch on the tap class, the transition yeah. GPS because we all have to go through that DOD mandated. Yes, sir. And both of us in your book and I've said it in my podcast before, we sort of have these caveats when we speak of TAPS that mm-hmm. we say it's a great program, but 
perhaps it's not as complete as we would like it to be. Right. Because they don't go into things like the integration process. Right. So is that something that you think they could add to the class or how do you think that would work? No, I think in it's in it, 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 that that is a complete, to be perfectly honest, that's a complete change in thinking uh, top down. Um, it, it, I, I find that, that the TAP class probably needs the same type of, and I could be wrong. I mean, this is just one person's opinion. And, you know, who am I? I'm just some dude. Um, but I've done enough research and I do a lot of, you know, talking with other, other individuals on LinkedIn. This is a very hot topic, you know, the TAP class. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a whole change. It's a whole change in structure. Um, if you were to ask me like, Hey, what can we do? We, we take anywhere from, depending on the service, anywhere from six weeks to, to 12 weeks to integrate someone into the way we want them to be, right? So Navy boot camps, eight weeks. I'm not certain what, the, what Air Force is, but uh, they're all between eight and 12 weeks to teach you. This is how you, this is how you wear your uniform. This is how you do that. And then on the way, I'm like, hey, we're going to give you a week by someone that works at our family service center or, or at the, uh, you know, uh, fleet and family readiness or whatever whatever acronym we want to give it and they're going to give you one week to figure it all out right and you know ready set go and we got these workshops and it, it just seems kind of disingenuous in, in in a way that like you know you gave you know four years five years and we took two of those months three of those months to figure it out but we're only going to give you one week on the way out uh i think the title of your uh of your uh podcast is probably essentially what i would call it a boots off right so you had boot camp boots off well, I'm going for 30 days. You get orders to figure out how to do the. And, and I wouldn't, we do decompression from when guys come back to deployment. And I think it's probably right. some similar. It's a similar fashion where we have to just write a person off uh, a young lady or a young man. It's like, all right, you're, you're out. All right. There's no, the point of no return. If you're going to boots off or whatever we want to call it, then, you know, you got orders to this place. You've got orders to, and, and maybe they're they're and maybe they're local. They're, they're not a, I know, I know boot camps only in certain areas, but maybe we have, you know, joint base type things where it's 30 days long, man. It's a, uh, we're going to, we're going to cover this. We're going to cover that. And, and the sailor or the airman soldier Marine is going to, is actually going to get paid their last couple checks while they're in there integrating to get ready so that we could send them out. Because I think, and this, I don't know. I'd love some research. If anybody's listening to do some research, I'd like to know how much, how, how much we could reduce homelessness and, and the veteran problems by, I mean, we got guys with PTSD or don't know they have PTSD, guys and ladies that are out there, and they get one week to figure it out. I mean, they've they got all kinds of issues. I mean, it, it takes you months to figure out the the uh, the uh, the vet the VA process, and then and that's a slow moving target as it is. And it's like, well, you'll figure it out when you get out there. And and here, this is how you tie your tie though, and this is what your resume should look like. And you go to LinkedIn and type your name in and set up a password, mm -hmm. and good luck. And it's like, well. Yeah, if you have nothing wrong with you and you're sharp and you're paying attention and things are going swell for you, then that's probably okay. But I, I think that there's a lot of people that don't, and I think that those that inability to actually get people to to to, to know know they I, I say it four or five times, and it's a phrase that I wish I didn't say. I need to come up a different way to say it. So you don't know what you don't know, right? And so you're going to that tap class to try and figure out what it is you don't know you don't know. And unfortunately, what you really want is to make sure that you're taken care of medically, right? Your health is probably your most important thing. So you want to listen to what the VA has to say. They come in for half a day and you want to figure out how, if you're disabled, how to put in that claim and get it started as soon as possible. And so while you're working on that and you got your workbook, someone's in your ear about how to, how to get a job, but you really don't care about that because you're trying to figure out what benefits you're entitled to, how you're going to take care of your family. What, and then hopefully when you come back up for air, you know, someone's talking about how to, you know, how to use the, how to apply for USA jobs or how to do something else. So you're missing stuff because it's just it shouldn't be called tap. It should be called drink from a fire hose, and you know hopefully you figure it out. It's not yeah. to say they don't put out good info though. You just need to do it two or three times. Exactly, and I've I had airmen who were considering separation. They weren't a hundred percent going to separate, but as soon as it entered their mind, I said we should get you signed up for a tap class. Right, like right away because I I went through it twice, I believe. I think I went mm -hmm. through tap twice and that was probably uh, a good idea because the first time was definitely not enough. Right. And there are many people who it's kind of a 
last minute item for them to check off. Right. They're not thinking about it because, well, for one, they have an entire checklist that they got to get <laughs> yeah. taken care of. And they're like, oh, I have to do this tap class. It's just another check in the box. But the problem you run into if you have like a 30-day course on this, which I completely agree with, I think that's a good idea. But even for that one week of tap, supervisors, managers, they don't want to let their people go. Yes, sir. And because you can't really touch that person when they're in this class. Cause, so, so they say. Right. right. So they say. Of course, that's not always the truth. Right. It's definitely a good foundation, but I can see how it can be built into something much better. Another thing I'd like to see is if we could, if, if somehow the DOD or somebody, right, and I, I see an opportunity for some company or something to uh, make it an e-learning, make, make a lot of that stuff into modules and you can access it through the va.gov website or something. So, that, you know, you've been out a year and you want to see the benefits portion or you want to see the TRICARE portion again, or you want to see that again, there's somebody up there that you can click on, put in your, you know, you don't have a CAC anymore, but use your, VA, your va.gov login. And go and check it out. I'm like, I need to, I'm going to sit down and dedicate 45 minutes of e-learning to listen to someone. Now that I've been out here and now I understand what this is and I forgot about that, I could put these two things together because I can't exactly understand my notes from this big old book that I got. You know, how do I do this again? How do I do that again? And the resources are there. So I, I think there's an opportunity maybe to bridge that gap and, and just have, a, a, you know, something that the DOD puts out on e-learning that, that veterans can get at. Uh, six months from when they get out, two years from five years from when they get out. You know I mean, you can go to VA.gov and learn and try and figure out how to get your 9-11 benefits or, VA, or uh, GI Bill benefits, maybe 9-11 or, or Montgomery. But it'd be so much nicer if everything was like that. You know, how do I how do I do this? And there's someone talking, you walking you through it or there's some. I mean, we do that again. I'll use my sports analogy. We do that. We have such great e-learning for these concussions now. And e-learning for how to do first aid and CPR, so that you could coach a little league team. I think the DoD can do the same thing. For here's a course on how here's the, here's the here's the you know the tap class again, broken into fourteen different modules. Watch them in you know forty five minute increments or something. Stop and pause wherever you want. Absolutely. And I want to come back to that a little bit in a way, but uh, first we got to talk about this myth because I I definitely heard it too um, <laughs> when I was getting out. Yeah, where I might think to use my medical coverage when transitioning to a new job, using my medical coverage as a salary salary negotiation tool. Right. That's not typically the case, I guess. Right. But have you ever seen it work? No. Uh, I I I I ended up talking to around I think twenty seven people for the book, friends and everybody else, and I asked them about it, and that's why I ended up as around third or fourth what question in is like hey so i think there's this myth out there and that they came up with it that no one and it has to do with insurance we don't and i think that's one of the issues that military members don't understand even when you're a young kid and if you do your four years and get out the coverage that you get in the military is is ridiculously awesome you just i mean maybe you get a lot of motrin thrown at you or whatever but everything's free <laughs> and it's not the case in the civilian sector um so you're under the assumption that if i have some coverage you just don't understand insurance. That's why the the, the average military and probably military person does not understand insurance. So you think when you come into the civilian sector, your job, if if you're working for a company, is part of a policy. You're a small cog in a huge policy that's already out. So if you decide not to opt in, okay, fine. They still have you know a thousand people that are being covered, so that, that you're not saving the company any money. They were already weren't paying for you because you just came on board. So why would they give you money when you just came on board? Well, you're going to cost us your nickels on the dollar for a huge policy. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it's a myth. We'd like to think it does. Maybe for the independent contractor that hires three people, they say, well, you're retired. So, or, or, you know, you're using your VA benefits. So that'll help me. I'll give you an extra, you know, extra $2 an hour or something, Right. but nothing, nothing. I think, I think that's probably the thing. Maybe, maybe we could teach, you know, members about that. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it, but you know. Well, you know, it's, it's different. kind of ironic because that actually that point actually came up in a tab class that I was in. Oh, really? Oh, you can, uh, you know, you can always try this out. But right. Maybe. Maybe and the it other does thing work. was that there's there's another myth that I left out, and, there, and there's like chapters that just didn't make it. Ten was a round number. The same thing was like the security clearance. Uh, I had that myth busted for me right in tab class when uh, you know someone had asked the same similar to what you said, and one of the contractors was like, "No, could we have to open it anyways?" and we're not, you're not saving us any money. 
Um, so it doesn't matter. You're not going to get any money. So even, even the active clearance that you have or trying to maintain it or keep it, they still have to do the work in NASIS or JPAS or whatever the programs are to keep it anyway. So you're not really reducing them. It's one of these things where a lot of people, oh, yeah, you need to have it. Like, well, yeah, you just need to be a trustworthy individual that can get it. And then you're, you're hireable. You're employable. But you don't really save them any money. I Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But would that security clearance put you ahead of someone who doesn't have that clearance? Yeah. Yeah, but what the argument the contractor made is they're only going to talk to people that have that clearance anyway. So when you come into the interview, when you get – so you're going to get your resume. Okay, so we're going to talk to five people that all have the clearance anyways. So all you did was make it past the cut to get in there. You're not going to save them any money because they already are going to hire someone with the clearance most likely anyway. And you're, you're talking about a small portion of the American workforce. I guess global workforce, if you want to make it even a smaller portion, they require a security clearance. So – you're already the people you're competing with are going to have that clearance. Someone doesn't go to school and say, "Hey, you know, I want to be a contractor at Boeing and work in that. What do I got? Well, you need a clearance. Okay, well, let me go and get it. Um, they may, but um, they're they're probably not going to beat the person that's getting out of the military. The five or seven people that have that job that are applying anyways, plus all the people that are internal. So it's not it's not as I mean it's nice. I mean it's nice, but it, it's up there. I don't know. That's my own. That's just what I've seen or what I've heard and and. Uh, I'll take it for what it's worth. I'm not an expert in that. I haven't hired anybody because of a clearance. Let's put it that way. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's just what I've heard. Well, so that's right. that's one thing that you say could have could have been in the book that was not uh, didn't make the cut. There are some other topics that you say could have had a place yeah. that are not included. You do touch a little bit on the lack of camaraderie, right, in a civilian workforce. But there's also the whole VA benefit application and the disability yeah. rating. Do you? have any wisdom to give on these topics here? I'm going to tell you that I use the DAV to help me through that process. And best choice I made. It was super, super easy. I had someone to talk to. There was an advocate that really, and maybe I'm sure that it depends on who you get. I, I, I actually, since I was on recruiting duty, I was out at Scott Air Force Base. So the team out there and, and Scott, the DAV team was just fabulous. Those guys, they cared about me. They helped me out. They looked at stuff. I mean, I was a little nervous because you have to sign a uh, a power of attorney over to me. Like, uh, am I oh, really? Wow. The right? Well, well, because they're going to advocate for you, right? So they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna do everything for you. But man, I tell you, the minute I the minute I went to them, I had appointments scheduled with the quickness. I had uh, my paperwork was done. Come see us. They did it. They don't leave until we're done. So it kind of that was like my first introduction to like the way things could be if people were there and, and they, they were truly there to make sure things happen. So probably right in line with what you're doing with what I'm doing with the book, it's, we just want to help veterans navigate a process and we know how to navigate this process. So jump on our back, we'll help you. And so, yeah, that, that would be my wisdom. And, and, and I just chose DAV cause they showed up, they showed up and I talked to them and a couple others and I wouldn't, I'm not going to sit here and badmouth anybody about anything because I, I truly believe everybody's heart's in the right place. But I think the advocates know more about this than you do. And I think when you're, when you're trying to get a disability rating that to get as much help as you can, Hey, go to the experts, these guys in there, they'll, they'll look at it. They'll give you a free look. They don't charge you any money, right? They, they didn't get one thing from me. They just genuinely wanted to help. There's some dude in an office that looked at my, my medical record and said, all right, dude, this is how we're going to do it. And we did it. And I got a rating and I was happy. And they gave me a sticker at the end. It was awesome. That sounds amazing because that's something that, of course, I know of the DAV, but I didn't know that that was an option. I didn't know they were there to help in that respect. It's just oh, not, yeah. a, not anything that's ever come up in my conversations or in my transition process. Yeah, and there's a bunch. I mean, AMVETS is out there. There's, I mean, and they're all good. They're all good. You can end up, you know, joining ten or eleven different groups. If you don't watch it, you know, give them some money because they're all right. doing great stuff. And they'll all advocate for you. They're all, they're all, they're, they're all dudes like me and you. And they're all going to help out or they, they just know the system. I also found that, that one of the biggest things was before I started transitioning, I started asking people, they were going to tap, hey, what did you learn? What are you working on? Where are you going? Because I wanted to see, you know, essentially where they stumbled, where they, so when I was ready, when it was my turn, I just did it right. Or I did it, you know, hey, this guy messed up here, so I'm not going to mess up there. You know, if there's one, like you just asked me, what's one thing you could fix? Or you could do, you, you, you know, what's something you can offer for advice? Go get this done early. So 
Yeah, I mean that, that that would be my my advice. And I get everybody's different. It's your medical, it's your health. So I don't want to tell. I hate people telling me what they would do if they were me. So I don't ever want to put that on anybody, and I try not to do that. But I would strongly recommend that you look at these people for any type of assistance. These groups because they're there to help. That's not to say the VA won't. I think the VA is overmanned, or is undermanned and overworked. So if you can get someone pulling for you, that maybe you can get your stuff to the top of a pile. Go for it, man. Uh, it definitely sounds like a viable avenue that I. Kind of wish I had considered before, but that's why I wanted to have this podcast is so we can talk to veterans who have been there and who have the experience and can pass this good information along. It also leads me to my next thing here. There are two things you absolutely wanted people to take away from your book. One of those is that the veteran is not alone. Right. Second is that once he or she has their footing in the civilian life to help out the next transitioning vet to pay it forward mentor mentor yep yep so how do you do this obviously you wrote the book that's one way right but how do you find these communities of mentors and how do you how do you help others there is without question uh, linkedin for one i think that every veteran as you start to transition needs to be on linkedin and just as a resource just so you you know or you can at least read you don't have to be active on there i probably you probably don't need to be active on linkedin but you need to you know, join some groups and and join some uh, and and listen to what people are saying. Uh, one of the, the the job that I got now that I that I got came from LinkedIn, and a lot of the a lot of the I never posted in 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 any of the in, in any of the veteran groups that I was in. But I was watching other people post and asking questions, and again watching these hurdles that these people were having, and then I just read them and kind of socked them away in the back. So when it came up for my time to get an interview, write a resume, and do these things. And, you know, I was sharp. I was solid. I just learned from those in front of me. I, and I, that's, that's where I get the majority of my work. Since I wrote the book and since, uh, since separating, I've, I've made tons of friends out there. I cannot tell you how many veterans are out there that will help you. A vet will help a vet. I mean, I, I, I cannot. I mean, I, I, you did it for me here, right? I, I, saw, I saw your podcast. I think I saw you on, on saw this podcast on LinkedIn. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, that's cool. And, and I looked at it, and then I listened to one of them. You did the one with the uh, the kid that was on the carrier. And I was, I got Garzon, Garzon. Yeah, Christian Garzon, yeah. That dude's hysterical. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, these guys got it going on. This is cool. And I actually, as I listened to that, I was writing the book. And I was like, I've got to reach out to this dude, and maybe he'll give me a little commercial. If he blows up, he can give five minutes to give the book some credence so that I can get my word out there because these guys are going to blow up because they're hysterical, and there's a bunch of guys out there. They need to hear this. So yeah, just there, I saw that. So I think, I think when, and I know I'm taking a long time to answer this question, but get out there. Vets will help vets. And so when you hit me back, you're like, yeah, this is what it's at. I'm like, hey, read my book. If you like it, let's do it. And if it sucks, tell me it sucks. And then we'll, you know, we'll, at least you'll help me out. So you gave back and we're giving back now. Um, I've, I've got other friends out there that are, you know, they're doing veteran meetups all over the place. And believe you me, if you look at my book, anybody that looks at my book, there's no copyright thing on the front. I, I did that on purpose. There's the first couple, there's nothing. It starts right on because I don't care if you plagiarize it. Please, if you want to make it your idea, if the myth is your idea, fine. Teach another vet. Have at it. Go for it. You know, it doesn't matter. I put it in the book. If you, if you get absolutely nothing out of my book, give it to someone else that might mm -hmm. um, because that's really what it's all about. So these veteran groups, they, they're doing vet meetups, they're doing things, and, I, and I'll just ask them, hey, can I send a couple books out to you, and you can give them away as door prizes so that you can get some legitimacy to your group, and you can have some door prizes. They might get a couple more people that uh, they come, they come to your action there. No, but seriously, that, that, that's where it's at. Any way that I can help the vets, and so I, I see that as, as double give back. And again, on the back of the book, it does say, not an advice column, not a how-to book, but it does have these good takeaways. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about the transition integration on, on this, this podcast here while I've got you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without, without question. Um, is that is veterans know what it takes to be successful. You really do. Um, so just go and do it. Just go and do it. Uh, you're going to have to work harder for, right? You're, you've been, you're used to doing more with less. And that situation at the beginning, the first, the first couple months, weeks, maybe even a year or so. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do more with less. You're not going to know all the information, but just do it. You're fine. You do have superpowers, and you have, you do, I call them superpowers because they truly are. The, the ethic that you have, the ability to show up on time, the ability to, to go to work, 
I get complimented at work all the time. I've been working almost two years, right? And I get complimented for, man, you haven't taken more than a day off yet. Well, yeah, because I have, I have a job to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have any vacation. My kids are in school. So, you know, so you know, why don't you just, why don't you just take a day off or two for yourself? I don't need to, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting shot. I'm not under a tube. This is pretty easy. Show up, drive, drink some coffee, check some email, do some talking. There's really no reason to take a day off. And what I found is that the other veterans in, in my office or in there where I work at are kind of the same way. You know, yeah, so we're just working here. We're doing our thing. But do it. I mean, I, I just, when in doubt, if you don't know what to do, do something. That's probably, that's, that's probably some lousy advice, but you're going to be just fine. Just do it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Go and play. Ask for the ball. You can do all the sports analogies you want. Ask for the ball. Take the shot. Be the ball hawk because that's what you're capable of doing and that's what you can do. Don't be afraid to take the risk. Don't be afraid to go for it and just do it. Again, the book is called 10 Hut, 10 Things Veterans Should Know Before They Enter the Civilian Workforce. I know you can find it online. Where should people go to get this book? I'll tell you what. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, right? So you just type in a tent hut. You can, you can find it on Amazon there, and you can get it on Kindle if you want. Um, we just recently went put it on Kindle. But I'll do one more because I am truly committed to, to the success of the veteran. If it, whenever this podcast comes out, and it'll be online forever, I suppose. So the, 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 the first three people that hit me up on LinkedIn and say, hey, I heard you on Boots Off. Can I get a free copy? I'll mail it to you. Uh, no cost to use it. Just hit me up, but you got to be my friend on LinkedIn or whatever. It's link with me, I guess is what it's called. And we'll discuss. So it doesn't matter whether you're out, in, whatever. And um, any any veteran causes, like I say, vet groups or people at TAP class, GPS, whoever's listening to this, uh, I challenge you to to push me on how bad I want to get this out. To challenge my generosity. I want this book read. I will ship to you. I will help you. We will figure it out. I just don't want to lose any money on it. I'm not looking to make money off the book. I'm really trying to get the work. So call me, hit me up, email me, and I will get this book to you or whatever it is. It's most important that you that it's read and that someone gets something out of it. So uh, if, if you think that you're having a little thing and you want a book or two or you want five or you're holding a little class and you think this might be something, I want to give you the book to give to your people so that it'll legitimize legitimize your uh, your process. So hit me up. LinkedIn's probably good. Maury Castaneda. I have a website, helmleadership.com, if you want to go to that. But I'm here to help challenge me on that all right so let's get you some linkedin connections and uh get get your message out there to uh all the other vets who are in the same boat that or submarine that uh we've been in yeah Um, and i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you one thing i I do want to mention is is probably the best the best feedback i got from the book was actually from a young man that uh that i worked with his dad who was at the end that was uh i won't say his name i don't permission but the dad worked at meps right and his son's in the navy and his son's going to get out or was thinking about getting out. So he bought the book for my son, probably a charity case for me. Go, oh, yeah, I know more. I'll buy the book from you to my son. And the kid read it and the kid's staying in. And I call him a kid. The sailor's staying in. And he sent me an email saying, thanks. What you told me, I'm not ready to experience because I realize I'm having a good time. I realize that I'm not ready to experience what you're experiencing yet and what's going on here. And just that, that blew my mind. That it was actually, you know, I gave one back. You know, he's in there doing that. So that I, I, like I said, it's for everybody. It's not for just anybody getting out. I mean, if you work with veterans, maybe you get you can figure out why they're so kooky. You can help them or whatever the situation might be, why they're always pissed off or whatever the situation is. I don't know. But sure. It's and, for that, and that brings us all the way back full circle to when you first thought about getting out and your mentors uh, told you otherwise. Yes, sir. Without <laughs> a doubt. All right, Maury. Well, I appreciate you coming on with your message and your time. If there's ever anything else you want to say, let me know. And uh, yeah, likewise, can... if you need anything from me, I mean, you know, you're, I, I appreciate you having me on and letting me, you know, let me talk, bloviate here for a little bit. But, but man, I, I really just want to thank you for doing what you do and doing the podcast. I think what you do, and, and I've li- like I said, you, there's some humor in there. It's right up the alley. You, you're helping way more people than you know of. I, I found you. Just by going, you know, just by doing some searches and some things. And so you don't stop. You keep charging because you're doing a great thing for all the veterans and for everybody else out there too. So you should be proud, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And same to you. Uh, all right. So we'll we'll talk to you again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Thanks again. Take care. Talk to you later, bro. You heard him. Log in to LinkedIn, find Maury, and ask him about his book. Tell him you heard about it on the Boots Off podcast. Can we get one of those special offer codes, though? That would be cool, right? Click the microphone in the top corner, type in Boots Off, and you'll get a free copy.
No, but really, there's a lot of good info in this book. Or, I'm sure if you just have questions about civilian integration, he'd be happy to talk. You can check him out further at helmleadership.com. And A Ten Hut is also available on Amazon. Maybe you know someone who's getting out or having trouble with the transition integration process. That's a big change, and it's always good when vets help vets. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to share the episode and nominate yourself or someone you know to be a guest on the show. You can find the Boots Off podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and if you value what we're doing and would like to contribute to the mission, consider a contribution to the Boots Off Patreon account. Again, this is a side project, no cost to listeners, but it does cost to produce. So any little donation helps sustain the podcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Boots Off Podcast. Thank you.